1: Today is Monday, June the 11th, 2018, and this is episode 2235 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Monday, so I know you're thinking it's going to be listener feedback day, but as you guys know, I've been talking about this for a while, I am about to uh, go on vacation for two weeks, and here's what I've got for you. Today I've got a new show, but it's going to be on total freedom through honest personal branding. We're going to have a business discussion today. I'm going to talk about a couple people that were recently ass-hurt by what they heard on the Survival Podcast, how that pertains to this, how we're mild in the way that we respond to haters compared to, let's say, somebody like, oh, I don't know, John Willis at SOE Tactical Gear, who I who I just love, by the way. Um, but I'm going to talk about how that type of freedom or that type of approach can, can give you total freedom. I'm even going to let you know about one sponsor that has a little bit of a problem with what one of these ass clowns had to say. I don't know. Maybe you guys will reach out to this sponsor and let them know how much you uh, value their cooperation with the Survival Podcast for eight years. I don't know if they'll leave or not. They do have a bit of a um, a, a religious component to what they do, and that's a good thing. I'll tell you who it is. It's Western Botanicals. Um but when they called me, I said, hey, this guy's right. I told him to F off, and here's why. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, I'll give you more on that in a bit. The big thing I actually want to talk about today, though, is how when you're always consistent about who you are and true to who you are, then when things come up like this, it doesn't really matter. And I'll, I'll explain how even if we, uh, if we do lose them, which would shock me. Uh, and basically, I would tell them, <laughs> you know, whatever, man. You know, Because I know this clown. Never spent a dime with them. I know he never spent a dime with me. It's always people like that that are going to boycott things that never were paying customers in the first place. They're the same people that aren't going to watch an NFL game that say, well, I haven't watched the NFL in 20 years, and they're like 30 years old, so you never watched football. So you're not boycotting anything, that type of thing. But uh, you know, really, I think that the world that we live in today presents an immense opportunity for anybody who wants freedom from the grind. And that's really what today's show is going to be about. I'll lead off with some of these complaints to explain how you have to do it authentically today. Because if you don't, then sooner or later you're going to be authentic somewhere, and then it can hurt you. But if you're always authentic, and somebody's like, wow, I I can't believe that. Well, were you not paying attention? Right? So we'll get into all that in just a bit. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is RidgeWallet.com. RidgeWallet came up on my radar in December last year. I had made some decisions to basically turn some sponsors over. I'd gotten to the point where I felt like some of these guys, I really, you know, you can only sell the same thing for so long, and they're one-trick pony type things. That it was time to maybe look for some other folks. And uh, somebody just happened to contact me the right day when I was thinking that way and uh, said they repped a couple companies, and they told me the companies they repped, and I'm like, these other two don't really seem like I can help them, because that's always my key with the sponsor, can I help them? This Ridge Wallet thing, this looks intriguing. So he sent me a couple wallets. I started carrying one, and it's what I carry all the time now. I have not carried that big lump in my butt since January of 2018, and I think my posture and my back is better for it. Uh, It's helped me become more of a minimalist, And it protects me from potential identity theft. They also sent me one of the phone cases. I thought that was awesome. Uh, and what I did with the phone cases is I started keeping my, uh, my hotel keys in the phone case because it doesn't have RFID protection. And that means when I walked up to my hotel room, I could just wave my phone in front of the thing and it opened. And it turned out that's why they didn't build the phone case with RFID protection. A lot of people keep like, you know, a gate key or something like that for where they work or where they live, you know, where they have a security checkpoint so that they can just wave it. So it's, it's a great line of product. They have a backup battery system. They have a backpack. I'll be traveling on my vacation with the Ridge backpack. When I get back, I have like a lot of things I've been wanting to get done. When I get back, I'm going to do a video of all the products they sent me and show you how awesome they really are. But don't wait for me. Get on the minimalist bandwagon today, man. Check out RidgeWallet.com. I've been surprised how many times I've been to a restaurant or something like that and the waitress or the waiter is like, oh, wow, that's the Ridge Wallet. I had no idea how well-known these folks were when I brought them on. I'm glad to have them with us. And, hey, you want a discount? MSB members, you get a great discount at RidgeWallet.com. So check the benefits section before you buy. Next up today, the other new sponsor. I mean, I haven't brought new sponsors on, God, for six years, I guess. And I brought two on this year because I just thought it was time to bring some new services to you guys. Butcher Box is awesome. Last night, Dorothy and I had Butcher Box baby back ribs. I did them with my pressure cooker method. I threw them in the carry pressure cooker uh, for about 50 minutes, took them out, and let them cool all the way down so they kind of firmed up. Hit them with a little of that, that smoky apple barbecue sauce we get from a place called Zeb's in New Hampshire. Now, they're not a sponsor, but let me tell you something. If a boy from Texas buys barbecue sauce in New Hampshire, it's something special. So we hit them with that, threw them on the grill for about 10 minutes, high heat on the sides, low heat underneath them, kind of crisped up the edges and got that sauce to cook in a little bit. Man, that was good. We, there was, the dogs got nothing. And you guys know me. I always see the dog something. That's how good Butcher Box is. It's like having a private shopping service shop for the best pastured and organic meats they can find. Send them right to your door. And, you know, if you're a little iffy on meat being sent to your door, they pack them with dry ice. That box could get there. The day that it gets there, you could bring it inside, set it on your kitchen table, leave it till tomorrow, and when you open it, your food will still be frozen solid. They do a fantastic job. They have new packaging, too. This company is one that like walks its walk and talks its talk. They're about sustainable and recyclable and all. Well, they have this new packaging. It's 100% cardboard, and the, the, the peanuts that sit on top to keep everything cold are completely biodegradable. If you pour water on them, they disintegrate to nothing. You can put them in your compost pile, what have you. Great company, and a discount that can be used for free bacon for life, for members of the MSB. Check them out today at ButcherBox.com. But make sure with these guys you go through a banner, because even if you're not an MSB member, they got a special deal for you just because you're a TSP listener. And before we get to the main topic today, let's take a look at a year in history up to the year 139 A.D., earning the title Pius. As the new emperor of Rome, Antonius' first order of business was requesting that the Senate deify his deceased father, that was an adopted father, by the way, Hadrian, The Senate was still upset with Hadrian and had just repealed his reform to turn Italy into four provinces. They were in no mood to deify a dead emperor until Antonius told them he would resign and leave the throne open unless they deified Hadrian. The Senate eventually agreed to the demands, especially since they didn't want a vacuum of power to break out into a civil war. For his dedication to Hadrian, the Senate granted Antonius the name Pius. My take by David Verne. No sane emperor would dare call himself a god while he was alive, but deifying dead rulers or heroes had been a common practice since Alexander the Great. The cult of the emperors wasn't like other religions. Praying and offering sacrifices to deified emperors wasn't about worshiping a superior being, it was more about showing obedience and loyalty to the empire. Rome incorporated various religions as long as they supported the empire's stability, loyalty to the state was predominant above all. This was the largest region why Jews and Christians faced distrust that sometimes flared into full-scale persecution. Since these religions were monotheistic and were forbidden from taking part in any ceremonies to pagan gods, they refused to participate in the imperial cult and other ceremonies, which led to them being seen as inherently disloyal to the empire. And as I have been saying for a long time, the most dangerous religion to humanity is what? statism. And if you think the days of deifying government are behind us, they just use different marketing today, which is interesting because we're going to talk about marketing. But when somebody says, well it's just the law, you have to do what they say because it's the law, that is deifying the authority of the state if the law is unjust or immoral. And I'll just let it at that today so we can get into the main topic of today's show. So let's talk a little bit about what inspired today's show what well, made me decide to go here so first was the guy last week and the guy last week was very ass hurt um number one because i told somebody with a snake problem to leave the snakes alone that upset him it wasn't even him um, but in the, if you guys remember in this instance these snakes were speckled king snakes and this guy obviously doesn't like snakes and where he lives there's actually a fairly large abundance of pygmy rattlers um, timber rattlers, copperheads, and cottonmouths or moccasins, depending on what common name you use for them. So all of these are far less preferable to the speckled kingsnake. And the speckled kingsnake is a snake predator. That's why they call kingsnakes kingsnakes. That's why they call the king cobra the king cobra. Not just because it's so big, because it, it feeds on other snakes. Well, king snakes feed on other snakes. So you have these harmless snake, couldn't harm you if it tried, And I said something to the effect of, and it will crush a copperhead like a fat Italian barefooted housewife on a grape, right? Talking about, it was a a reference to the fact that in some parts of Italy, they make wine by crushing grapes with their feet. This is not an insult to Italians. This guy was all about the fact that he's Italian, and he also insulted me, insulted my weight, personally insulted me, but I never personally insulted him. And I I guess what he doesn't know is I do talk about my Ukrainian heritage quite a bit, but that Ukrainian heritage is on my grandparents' side, on my father's side. Guess what the other half of Jack Spirko is? I'm Italian, yo! Yeah, I'm an Italian-Ukrainian. That's why I'm such a hothead, I guess, right? So it's not like I'm not talking about my own heritage as well. But, I mean, it was just ridiculous how upset this guy got. And basically, I said, I'm done with you. Because he kept emailing me as shit. Because I was like, I'm not letting you comment on the blog My blog is my personal property. It's not your free speech zone. And if you're insulting me, you're not commenting on my blog. Disagreement, fine. Insulting me or other members of the blog, no. So his final email to me was, Wow, this isn't like you. What happened to you? I'll get to that in a second. So this other guy, and this is the one he contacted apparently all my sponsors. Um, I did an episode 2223, I believe was the episode. It was a listener feedback show, and I opened up with about a 25-minute segment on the school shootings. And this is one at, in Santa Fe, Texas, right after that happened and everything that went on there. And I marked that episode explicit in iTunes and other things. There's a pl- thing in my podcast feed where I clicked that thing. I put a note at the beginning of the notes of the episode said that it's explicit. And when I got to the point in the podcast where I knew I was going to say the F word multiple times, I said, I'm about to use a word that I don't usually use on the air right now, and some of you really don't like it, so if you don't like it, you need to fast forward through the next couple minutes. Well, this ass clown did not fast forward through it, and he sent me an email that basically said, you're disgusting and unprofessional, count me out. And I said, well, go F yourself, right? I mean, that, that was, a direct, it was a direct email, direct response, okay, fine, go F yourself. So he contacts my sponsors and he's telling them how a horrible person I am and unprofessional, and he'll never do business with anybody associated with me. Now, this is one guy I checked, and it's over 180,000 downloads of that episode have occurred since I published it. I've had one complaint about it. I've had disagreements with my take, but I've had one complaint out of almost, you know, over 180,000 people that have, you know, listened to this show. And, uh,. I heard from Keith Snow, who's like, hey, look at this leftist asshole that's trying to hurt you this way. Don't worry. I don't, you know, basically, I don't care. And I responded to the guy and told him to f- off again. And then I got a phone call this morning from one of the guys over at Western Botanicals. And he starts trying to explain it. And I'm like, listen, let me cut right to the chase. This is what happened. And I told the guy to screw off. And he said, well, you know, he said that sometimes he listens with his children. And I said, well, first of all, my disclaimers and policies have been in place since 2011. I've used adult language on the show since 2011. Second of all, I marked the show explicit. And third of all, before I went into that tirade, I said I'm going to say it. So all he had to do was fast forward if he was that upset about it. And I told him, I'm going to leave the ball in your court. You guys need to make a decision about what you want to do. Let me know by tomorrow because I won't be able to change the site for 10 days and hopefully they won't walk away from an eight year profitable relationship where well, i stuck by them by the way let me just cuz i'm principles over preference that's the most valuable phrase i've ever heard from anybody in my life it comes from my buddy vin armonity principles over preference so when we brought western botanicals on it was pointed out to me that the ownership of western botanicals had sponsored legislation by financially backing it, that was opposed to gay marriage, which is diametrically opposed to my view on the issue as a libertarian and an anarchist. That if two people want to be married, it's not my business, it's not the state's business, two people should be able to be married if they want to. I don't understand that type of lifestyle. I don't want to be part of it. But I won't hold it against you if you are. That I believe that human beings are human beings, and we should all look out for each other. And I've had... Great conversations with people that are gay. I don't have a lot of gay friends. I'm not one to say, well, I have tons of gay friends. I don't really, because we don't really... I don't have a lot of friends, honestly. I have a very short, actual people that hang out with me, friends list to begin with. But I would never be unfair to anybody over them being gay, and I I actually totally disagree with their stance on that. However, my response was, this is a free and independent republic, and businesses should be consistent with their values. And I would rather have a partner is consistent with their values, who simply stands on what they believe, as long as they're not out actively harming anyone. In other words, if they said, we won't sell to gay people or something, then I would have had nothing to do with them. So I stood by them because of my principle over my preference, because my preference would be, leave everybody do whatever the hell they want. And that was eight years ago. So I'm just going to say that maybe today you want to drop an email over to Western Botanicals and let them know how much you valued the relationship for as long as it's been here. Just to counterbalance this one-ass clown, who I'll guarantee you, I'll lay 20 to 1 odds with anybody that wants the action. He never bought anything from them anyway, and he was never going to. These types of people are takers. They always are. Certainly wasn't an MSB member. Subscribed to the email list over a year ago, but he's upset in May of this year. Because, oh gee, I didn't expect that. Now you guys who listen to this show know how ridiculous that is. So, anyway, those two things... Transpired, And I actually copied John Willis on this from uh, SOE Tactical Gear because John actually makes an entire living off of this type of thing, customers that hate him. And I was going to read it, but I figured it will go way too off topic. But there's, there's a, an article uh, published under the, the column called The Hagler that was in the New York Times a little over a year ago. And it's about John Willis and how he does things. And it's, Unhappy Customers Make Him Happy... And rich, which is completely the opposite of what you've been taught to believe about business. The customer's always right, et cetera. Anybody that says anything bad about you today, that's dangerous, and you got to head it off at the pass and not let it happen or whatever. Um, and it's it's nonsense. So we're going to talk about why that's the case today. Uh, but I'll put a link to that article so you can read it. I will tell you that the person that wrote into the Hagler to complain about John. Um, Told a version of the story that I bet you isn't the actual version that really happened. I, I, John and I are actually going to do a video, kind of like a probably like a video conference, and put it on YouTube together when I get back about haters and how they actually help build your business and, and how like if you are doing something meaningful, you are going to have these people in your life and why that's a good thing. Even if you don't take our direct approach to it, and again, his is more brash than mine. Um, but even if you are going to be the nice guy, if no one hates you, you are not making a difference. Because when you make a difference, you upset the status quo, and when you upset the status quo, you upset people. I mean, that's just a fundamental reality here. So when you start getting hate mail, especially as a content creator on on the Internet, know that you've started to matter, and that's why somebody's upset with you. But when it comes to the vulgar language, this is probably the number one complaint that I've had. And before I even discuss this, I want to read something to you. This was published January 1st. 2011. It's my disclaimers and policies, and it's multiple sections, and I'll give you the sections, and I'm going to read one section to you. Section one's my legal disclaimer. Section two is my distribution policy. Section three is the one I'll read for you, adult language and content warnings. Section four is comments, forums, and free speech, and that's it. And I'm very upfront. And again, this has been online for eight years, and actually, it was online almost since, I would say this was online in year one, But I I, I changed it and expanded it so much, I made a new version of it. That's why, it's. if you go look at the URL, it says disclaimers-policies-2, hyphen okay? But here's the adult language and content warning that has been exactly this way for eight years. Section 3, subset 1, the Survival Podcast is not G-rated family radio show. The host will clearly get angered at times and use what is commonly referred to as adult language, including on very rare occasions, the dreaded F-bomb, though such use is rare indeed. However, as the show is marketed to adults, the host will often say when the shit hits the fan rather than the customary when the S hits the fan of those who choose to censor themselves. Subsection 2. The host on this show recognizes that many of our listeners may not, quote, approve of, and quote, his use of phrases such as bullshit rather than customary BS. Substitutions many others choose to use. However, we feel most sources of information are watered down and do not address the true nature of modern times. Subsection 3. All adult language is used to express genuine anger or emphasis. Many individual shows won't use any language as it is not called for. Other shows may use quite a bit. This use of language is simply to make the show authentic. It is never used for shock value or just because I can. Four, please do not email me and state things such as, quote, if you continue to use foul language, I won't listen to your show anymore, end quote. I respect your opinion and hope you can look past the occasional adult word from time to time. If it is not, even if it is not what you would choose to use yourself, the show will not be altered, though, to accommodate individuals that take issue with such language. If you want sterilized and censored speech, there are many sources of it. Subsection 5. We believe in freedom here. If you choose to listen to our show, you do so as a free human being on planet Earth, and therefore we are not responsible for any mental anguish, mental trauma, or feeling of being offended, or any other emotional problems that you get from doing so. Okay. So. What I want to talk about, with that in mind, is why do I use what people call vulgar words, and I put them in quotes on the air. I use them because it's who I am. If you come to my home, unless you have your children with you, in which case I will refrain in the personal in front of children. I censor myself because most people prefer you don't use adult language in front of children. Hence the term adult language. Okay, but I also do not believe in vulgar vulgar words. I believe that to censor words at all is nonsense. I do make some accommodations. For instance, I don't say the F word often on the air unless something really has me set off like, I don't know, 5,000 children a year taking their own lives. That upsets me. And if it doesn't upset you, you're not being fully human and you're not accepting that reality. And we hear about you know a dozen or so kids that die in shootings... And and the whole world's exploding, but between 4,500 and 5,000 young adults from the age of 0 to 24, which is school and college age, take their own life every year, and no one says a word. If that doesn't bring you up to the level of your blood boiling, then check your pulse. Make sure you understand the full brutality of what's going on there. So that called for that word. I choose not to use it because I know, in general, people find it offensive, and it rises to a level that requires me, from an ethics standpoint, to mark that episode as explicit in the plug-in that sends that show to places like iTunes and Stitcher, etc., so that people know. And I don't feel that saying ass or shit rises to explicit, especially when I'm so open and clear about what I do. So I prefer not to have to do that, and I prefer not to needlessly offend people if there's not something so wrong that that word is called for. So even though I use that word day to day, I choose by my own free will to generally keep it out of the show. But the reason I'll use, again, what people call vulgar is, first of all, I do not believe in vulgar words. I can express an extremely vulgar thought without using a single word that a person would consider profane. Think about that. I tell people all the time, because I get this email a bunch of times a month, guys. I can't believe you said shit. And, 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 shut up! Right? But it's like, d- 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 do you watch network television? Not cable. Like network television. Because the concepts on old shows, like let's say Friends, are far more adult and in many ways profane Than anything that I ever say. So the censorship of words. And the belief that the word itself is bad. Is a mark of control of human beings. And of course I'm opposed to that. But in the end it's because it's who I am. So if I didn't do that on the air. If I presented this G rated family radio show. As my persona. And one day somebody produces a video of me or a podcast of me saying, F this and screw him and he's an asshole. All of a sudden, well, there's a conflict there, isn't there? Oh, we didn't know. If you say you didn't know that I am the way that I am, you got here yesterday. And you didn't pay attention yesterday. So it's because I'm authentic. And what I want to move on to is we get into like what this means for you. I am not saying to be like me or be like anyone else. I will not rise to the level of total demeaning, you know, belittling that John Willis will do to a hater customer. I don't begrudge him from doing it. I find it comical, but it's not me. So I wouldn't do things exactly the way he does them. You know? But I'll do things the way that I'll do them. And if if you would not be the person to, in your common language, use the word shit. Don't use it for shock effect. You should be true to who you are and what you are. and you, So you should not try to, to to be anyone else. And the reason you have to, to, to think this way, this is where we'll move into more of the whole business concept today, is you have to understand what a niche is today versus what it was, say, even not that long ago in 1990. When I used to be in, a, in hardware sales... I sold computer hardware that was hardened. That means it was designed to deal with harsh environments and long-term use, and heavy usage that other equipment wasn't designed for. It had additional certifications, such as NEBS, which allowed it to be placed in uh, telecom environments and central offices, and it had... It had an additional certification where it's called Class 1 Div 2, which line of blah, 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 eyes glaze over. But basically that meant it could go into oil and gas environments. And it had certain hardened ratings and certain testing. The military had done it, like the barge test, which was kind of cool. They put the equipment on a barge, and they set a charge off under it and like raise it up out of the water. Like, you know, they don't sink it, but they like, shock it with a depth charge, and they see it like, will the equipment still work? So we we sold some of these these, uh, switches into uh, networks that would be mobile networks for Humvees and things like that. And so niches for me were telecom, telecom class equipment, uh, traffic services. So intelligent traffic services was a niche for me because this stuff could handle heat. So it could be out on a pole in Phoenix when it's 120 degrees out and not die without an air conditioner. You see what I mean? Those are niches. Now, how big are those niches? Multi-billion dollars. Even though they are a small section of the computer hardware business, they don't even amount to the consumer hardware sold by a company like Walmart or CompUSA, or they're Tiger Direct now, or whatever. You know, like they, the, the, the routers and stuff are like TP-Link that are sitting on my desk. They, they, they're they much bigger market than these niches, but those niches are still billions of dollars. And when people talk about niches, this is where their head still is. But there are over a billion people online. A billion. It's well over a billion. I don't know what it is, but it's just, let's just say it's a billion. Almost every of 300 million plus Americans is online. And there's millions that speak English, so I, I'm mainly speaking ...to my English-speaking only portion of the market now. Those of you that speak other languages have a whole new world of niches. And it's a good thing. But I'm just going to stick to this to make a point. So there's hundreds of millions of people that speak English. And you can reach any single one of them. And do you know how many you need... ...to earn three... ...annual incomes a year? Three. Average annual incomes a year. I'll save talking deeper about this... ...till we get to it in my notes... But the answer is 1,000. Because in what's called the true fans model, the 1,000 true fans model, a true fan is defined as a person who will spend one day's wages a year with you. And they'll buy anything you put out as long as it's good. If you're a musician and you have multiple CDs, you put them together in a box set, wrap it up in leather, and sign it, they'll buy it. Even though they have all the rest of your music already. They'll buy it because they want to support you, they don't want you to go away. A thousand. So you have millions, if not a billion plus people out there, and you need a thousand to earn an average income per year three times over. It doesn't quite work out exactly evenly, but it pretty much does because if you have a true fan, some of them are going to spend more than that one day of wages with you a year. And some of them are going to spend a little less. In the end, it's going to average out a little more. And if you have a thousand true fans, you're going to have several thousand fans who are willing to spend money with you a little bit. So really, by the time you successfully get to a thousand true fans, you have the ability to earn three to four times the average income of people in the developed world. So now what is a niche? A niche is no longer hardened Ethernet equipment for traffic applications, which is pretty tight. That's a pretty tight vertical market is what we used to call it in in my days doing that stuff. That's a vertical within a niche. Because a niche was hardened Ethernet equipment. And then a the vertical was a more narrowly defined component of that niche. Your niche is now a 1,000 people that like you and your subject, no matter what it is. So if your subject was model airplanes and you were really passionate about model airplanes. Do you think if you put 100% of your effort and passion into developing content around model airplanes, and you got good at it, that is the key, you do have to be good at it, that you could not find out of the millions of people out there, a thousand that say, I love this guy. I love his mannerisms. There's one guy I saw on YouTube recently, a perfect example of this. He's into power tools. But he's like a He's like a savant engineer. Like, he's taking so many of these tools apart. When he looks at a circuit board, he's like, he knows every, you know, transistor, resistor, et cetera, the, 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 like, where they're made in everything. So this guy's like a genius. But he's also a Canadian, and he talks in that Canadian slang, and he's like, you know, this is a bunch of crap or whatever, and whatever Canadian slang means that. And I, don't, I, I saw him like six months ago. He's not really, like, I, I loved what he was doing, but he's not the kind of, I'm not going to become his true fan. Does it matter? I can tell you this guy's got him. He's got true fans. And what they know is, even though he might use a word that's offensive, when he says, this drill is garbage, don't buy it, you're wasting your money, that that drill is garbage, don't buy it, you're wasting your money. And when he says, this drill will last you a lifetime, this drill will last you a lifetime. And he he wraps it up in his form of comedy and being himself. And he had some ridiculous number of subscribers. It was like 900,000 YouTube subscribers. So even with demonetization and all that other crap, he doesn't have any of that because of his subject. He can make more money than most people will ever make in a job on stupid ads on YouTube. Now, I do hope he's not totally digital sharecropping. I do hope he has something of his own where he has direct relationships. But it just goes to show, like, okay, so now what's the niche? The niche is power tools. No, It's not! That's not his niche. His niche is power tools for people that like to geek out about the individual components within them and like to see them taken apart down to the board level who enjoy somewhat vulgar, in in the modern definition anyway, Canadian humor. What is a more narrow niche than that? So there is nothing that you can't do this with today and this brings me to one of the things that I've been told. Let me give you some of the things that are common that I get told. You're doing it wrong. Okay? You're doing it. The show, you're doing it wrong. Now, I take that back to advice my father gave me a long time ago. I had an uncle, actually, he was a great uncle. He's my dad's uncle. His name was Stefan. Uncle Stefan had been married three times, and by this time, he was living on his own. He had three wives, lived in Pennsylvania. He was paying them all some alimony. Okay? But Uncle Stefan, who had never had anything other than kind of a high-level blue-collar job, had a beautiful house, in spite of having three women who were suiting for divorce successfully, right? He had a beautiful RV toured the country in. He had beautiful cars. I'm talking like classic vets and shit. He had like one of those garages that you just go hang out in, you know, like everything polished in chrome. I mean... Uncle Stefan looked like a millionaire because even though he never earned a super high salary, he earned a good salary, he knew how to invest his money, he knew how to save his money, and he was the millionaire. He was the millionaire next door John Pugliano talks about. So this is what my dad said to him. If your Uncle Stefan, said to me, if your Uncle Stefan gives you advice about money, take it to the bank and follow it. Because he's more successful than you, and he's even more successful than me. If your Uncle Stefan gives you advice about women... Don't listen to them. And in the end, son, never take advice from anyone who isn't doing at least as well as you or better at the thing they're giving you the advice about. I also get, I'm going to contact your sponsors and tell them I'm offended. Okay, go ahead. Like I said, Western Montana, the first time ever, out of all the times people have said they're going to do this, that any of my sponsors actually came to me with it. I've actually, I, I take that back. I've had some sponsors that have like, basically said, <laughs> this guy's a joke, we love you, don't worry about him, okay? Um, but I hear that all the time, go ahead. Because here's how I feel about it, I really hope Webster Botanicals chooses to stay with us. And like I said, you might want to reach out and let them know why you do business with them. Because I know this clown didn't, and I bet he didn't do business with anybody that's ever sponsored this show. Because people like that never do. But... In the end, if if they really feel like if they weren't paying attention for the last eight years and this is really not consistent with what they want to do, they should go elsewhere. I won't cry. Do you know what sponsors revenue is for my total revenue on TSP? It's less than 10%. It's less than 10%. I make up the majority of my income from memberships. That's the product I actually sell. I see my sponsors as services to you. People like Western Botanicals are paying like half of what a new sponsor would pay. I have a list of over 20 people waiting to be sponsors. If they leave, I'll replace them with a sponsor paying twice as much money. I don't want them to go away because I trust them and you trust them. So, But if if they really don't want to be part of what we're doing, and I mean this for anybody, I would prefer they not be. Because I would prefer to have people aligned with me that see things my way. That's why I've always been authentic. If I continue to do things this way, it will be the end of TSP. Heard that since year one. Year one ends with 2,500 downloads. Year 10, 170 to 190,000 downloads per episode. I don't think we're getting to the end yet. And I made a pretty damn good living when it was 40,000. And I'm not bragging. I'm just stating reality here. I, I, You need to think like Ronald Reagan and build a bigger tent. I'm going to skip that one because that was really my next point. Get this one. You have a public responsibility to make TSP more listener-friendly. I've been told people, because your show's so good, you owe it to humanity to to, to, to stop using bad words. Who the hell are you to tell me what to do with, the, with, with what I made valuable? And it just goes on and on. But the bigger tent, this is what everybody thinks about marketing today, and it's the last thing you want to do. Let's talk about what a Big Tent is. A Big Tent is CNN. A Big Tent is Fox News. A Big Tent is ABC, NBC, ESPN. A Big Tent is the mainstream media. The smallest, most floundering among them number their viewers, listeners, readers in the millions. They're a Big Tent. If you want Big Tent content, which means based on your personal view being told what you want to hear there are multitudes of opportunities and all of the people that are providing that content have billion dollar budgets staffs of hundreds or thousands of people working on you know one or two things and you cannot compete with them why would you tune into the survival podcast on a Monday show, which is usually kind of some current events and feedback and stuff like that. If the take you got on a school shooting was the same as the one you got on Fox News or CNN. If the take you got was, we just need to put guns in the schools. And put security checkpoints in. Or if the thing was, we need to ban assault weapons. If you got either one, what is the va- what value do I bring you? You can get that anywhere. You can get that on any channel. You can get that on any station. It brings nothing to you. You come here... Because even when you don't like some of the things I I have to say you get honesty you get authenticity and you get different and you get challenged and you might get challenged 20 times and you might only agree with me 5 of those 20 but those 5 matter and those other 15 do you choose not to agree with me? they still matter because now you follow the rule I've been teaching for 10 years you now know more so Why you believe what you believe. Because I never try to tell you what to think. I try to tell you what is and why I think the way that I do so that you can actually make a fully informed decision about the way that you think. If you try to build a big tent, all that goes away. Can you imagine? If some executive from Fox News, right? Fox News. Uh, was sent an email by an irate person who was offended by something that they they saw on TV and that guy replied with you know what go f yourself. You're a free human being on planet Earth. I guess you didn't read my disclaimers go screw off don't lie. I don't care. Oh my god, Twitter would be ablaze and progressive insurance is pulling out and oh my God, somebody's gonna get fired. you know what happens here if somebody's upset? Nothing. nothing because the vast majority of people here, Well, they're here because they see things at least close to the way that I see them. They want to be part of what we do. And I don't exist to serve a bigger tent. I exist as Jack Spirico, the host of this show, and the founder of this community, to serve you who wish to be part of it. And if I start trying to cater to others to make it bigger, I can't give you what I've promised you to give you for 10 years. And this is why that 1,000 true fans model is for everyone. Everyone in the modern era that's going to build a business based in any way on personal brand. And my buddy John Willis at SOE, Tactical Gear, his business is a personal brand business. That's why it says, made in the MFing USA on his labels. That offends some people. Do you know what? He doesn't care. Because even though he's marketing the equipment, it's a product business, unlike my business, which is a content business. He drives the sale of the product with content as a personality. This is my company. I run it my MFing way. And if you don't like it, there's the MFing door. And again, he's more blunt than me. You know, I'm like a hammer and he's like a freaking jackhammer. But no one's ever going to go, I didn't know it was this way. I can't believe he did that. I mean, you have to be, you have to wish to be offended to be offended by someone who's always authentic. You're tuning in to be offended. We need those people too, I guess, because they drive more people to us. But the reason that 1,000 True Fans model is so important is once you have that, you set up complete and total freedom in your life. If you can't survive on a hundred to $150,000 a year, you are not running your life right. Especially if you're in a content business where you can live anywhere you want and practice geographic arbitrage. And that's what 1,000 true fans mean in real numbers. Median salary is about forty-five dollars to $50,000 a year. If you have 1,000 people willing to spend at least one day's wages a year with you, again, you have some other people out there willing to spend something where you wouldn't have the 1,000, As long as you don't actually do something really wrong to them, screw off to everybody else. And the only way you can get there is to be authentic from day one. Because if you get there without being authentic, then eventually your authenticity will come back to bite you. You will be authentic somewhere else, and someone will give an example of you being authentic somewhere else, and then all the people who were vested in you will turn their back on you. You want to look at a big-time person this happened to? How about Tiger Woods? Now, there's golfers that if it would have come out that they were cheating on their wife, everybody would have went, so? I don't care. But Tiger marketed himself as the family guy. Right? As being that guy. As being the clean, upstanding guy that took care of his family and was honest and had integrity. Not as a swinger. Not as a guy with side chicks. So the people that were most vested in him, they didn't just buy into his ability, they bought into an image that was false. But I guarantee you, you could have a personality in the PGA who was like, I hook up with girls all the time. And he would attract a fan following that were okay with that. Tell me it doesn't happen. Tell me there aren't celebrities that that is their entire shtick. Now, I'm not, again, you can't pretend to be what you aren't or it will hurt you. But if you are what you are, unless you, I have to say this, even if you are, it may not be the case, but I believe that it will be difficult for you to be successful if you are a genuinely shitty human being that doesn't really care about other people. You know, in that case, I think you need to work on yourself. But even some of those people succeed because of the new era of the niche. And that new era of the niche is why everybody should be practicing a thousand true fans model. Your goal is to make the people that really see things your way feel connected with you because they are. Not because they think they are. Because you actually give a shit about them and you actually serve them at a higher level than anybody else. So when someone comes into this community and demands something that's not what I've been doing for ten years... It's not that I'm not open to the idea. If it's a suggestion, like, hey, what do you think about, because there's things we've added to the show over the years. Year in history is a perfect example. That came from a suggestion. You know, we didn't do interviews in the beginning because we couldn't, but once we we got to where I was doing the show from an office instead of a car, that was a a user request, hey, could you get this person on the air? So if it's a a suggestion and it makes sense, we'll do it. But once somebody says, you need to do this, it goes screw Because you're taking away from the people who have come to expect something from me over the years, and I've made a commitment to that they'll always get it. And if you do that with the 1,000 true fans model, you can't fail. Then the thing is, what you want are true fans, not fanboys, fangirls, that type of thing. The difference is a fanboy or fangirl will back you even when you're completely wrong. They won't tell you you're screwed up. I've made some mistakes over the years. And when I hear from the people that are active members of this community that have been around for a long time, that have supported me, that have been positive, and they say, hey, I think you really need to think about this. You know what I say? Oh, wait a minute. Let's put an ego check in here. Let's check this out. Now, if I have fanboys, they won't tell me that. Now, I'm sure I have some, but the core, the core group, they're not fanboys. They're true fans. I'll hear from you when I make a mistake. And I think it's been my willingness to say, hey, I screwed this up, I got this wrong, I'm sorry. That has made those people stick. That's also authentic. That's who I am. I am very principled. I will tell you to go screw if you don't want to be part of what I'm doing because of my principles. Because my principles are more important than my preference. But when I'm wrong, I'll admit it. And you have to have true fans, not fanboys, for them to be willing to tell you that. And then the other thing you have to understand today... To be successful, if you're going to do any kind of a business based on content creation, and almost all of them are, even a product business, is that the most valuable thing to people today is not their money, it's their time. If people will spend their time with you, they will spend their money with you. But the thing that they're competed with the most for is their time. There's so much available. Every time I see somebody, I'm going to put out a magazine about self-reliance. There's a few of those. And there's about 5 million blogs. Is that and If that's what you love more than anything else in the world, do it. But if you're doing it because, well, I think there's an opportunity here, well, then you're never going to have 100% passion. You're never going to find that core group of fans. And you're never going to have that complete freedom. You're always going to have to cater to something that you really don't want to cater to. I mean, I look at it this way. For years... I was partners in companies. I was VP level in companies. I was C-level officer in companies. And I had to do shit I didn't want to do. I had to hire people I didn't want to hire at times. Even that level. You're told sometimes, hey, we are hiring this guy. Okay. I had to fire people I didn't really want to fire. I had to have dinners with people that I didn't want to shake their hand. I had to hold my tongue... And when I decided to build something completely authentic and on my own, I was like, to hell with this. I'm never going to not say what I think ever again. And I'm never going to say what I don't think ever again. And that gets people to buy in to giving you their time. Because people are so tired of being bullshitted and lied to. And again, that doesn't mean be me. It means be you and what you do. So what I'm going to do now and conclude the show with... I'm going to talk about four areas and a total of 12 points within those four areas. And it's really everything you need to know about business. Now, it's not everything you need to know about business from a a structure standpoint or a technical standpoint. This is a philosophical standpoint. And I don't mean to sound egotistical, but I'm going to tell you, this is more valuable than what you would learn in a year of freaking business school. If you can actually get this into your mind and use it as your driving philosophy. And it's very simple. Now, I want to before I give them to you, I want to put a caveat on that, that simple and easy might be synonyms and used interchangeably, but they're really not the same thing. Simple is playing the guitar. Playing the guitar is simple. Four primary chords, several different strumming patterns, there's a certain way that you push Strings for them to actually work. You learn the basics and fundamentals and the chords and the the scales. And you can play, okay, just about any type of music you want to. Until you try to do it. Because it's not easy. Now, some people make it look easy. And for some people, because it's simple, it comes easy to them because they have an aptitude for it. But it is not easy. Because simple means it's easy to understand. Easy means it's easy to do. Walking's another example. You would think walking is the easiest thing in the world. No, walking's simple. It's basic balance, basic coordination, moving in a bipedal way that all human beings are designed to move in. But if it was easy, toddlers would learn to walk a lot faster. Watch a baby. In the transitional period, from when they start pulling themselves up to when they start crawling to when they have their first shaky, standing moments to when they walk. It takes considerable effort, even though the process is simple, and it's so innate to what we are as human beings, most children will do it without any coaxing whatsoever. They'll just eventually one day pull themselves up and try to go forward. But it's still not easy until you learn how. So these things are simple to understand, But they're not necessarily easy to implement to where you begin to build a business on them and it takes time and practice like anything else. And things like building landing pages and all, those are technical aspects. This is the philosophy of business and everything I've ever done in my life has been based on this, so I can tell you it works. The first one is on products. And understanding there are only two types of products in the world. Some people would say, you know, well, then there's physical product and immaterial service. No. No. That's really not the way to break this down. And then some people would say, wait a minute, you're, Jack, you're crazy. There's billions of products out there. There has to be more than two types. No. In the mind of the consumer, there's only two types of products. Products people need and products people want. That's it. Everything you've ever purchased in your life, you bought it because you needed it or because you wanted it. And you might say, well, I didn't feel that I needed this particular insurance product that government made me buy, and I didn't want it either. No, you needed it. You needed it to comply with the law. You didn't want to need it. Somebody made you need it and in in order to not be in violation of the law. In fact, that would be a a perfect example of a product bought 100% because of need. You buy food because you need it. You buy organic chicken because you want it. You see the difference there. So with that in mind, what business do you want to be in? Do you want to sell a product people need or do you want to sell sell a product people want? The novice is like, I want to sell what people need because they have to buy what they need. So they have to buy from somebody so they might as well buy from me. Well, no, now you're in a big tank. Now you're competing with everybody out there. If you're in the food business, you're competing with Albertsons. Good luck. Because they operate on a 1.5% profit margin. Right? If you're going to be a standalone entrepreneur or even a company, a small business company, and you're going to have the freedom to be authentic, you can't sell to the need. You have to sell to the want. And this is the interesting thing. When people get financially strained, do you know what they cut first? It's counterintuitive, but they cut their needs first. They look at their cell phone plan. Can I get a better cell phone plan? And they'll eke out 20 bucks. And then next Friday they'll still go out to eat. So you're actually more resilient selling to the want than the need. People will cut you in the want category first. You need food. One of the first things people do when they get laid off, especially if they're not preppers and don't have food stored up, They start buying off-brand product, they start clipping every coupon, they make better use of leftovers, they they focus on the needs, and they still spend money on the wants, until they really run out of money. So just from a tactical standpoint of resiliency, you're better off selling to the want. But the want allows you to market yourself in the niche, because the niche by its very nature is a want. You're tuning into this show because you want honest, authentic content about living a more resilient life if times get tougher, even if they don't. And this is one of the best places you found to get it. And you kind of like the guy even when he's a jerk. Be that in your thing for somebody else. Sell to that want. Because then you then the differentiators matter. And, and the reality is the barrier of entry into the business of the need for the individual is so high as to be off-putting anyway. You think about the things people really need, electricity, right? Well, I'm going to go into solar. Well, that's a niche, and you're selling a lot because solar costs more than primary energy. And it's still tough as hell, business. But if you did an entire content-oriented business on off-grid living and used it to sell solar, you'd actually get further ahead faster because now you're selling to the want. What people want is the freedom that comes with being off-grid, the independence, the self-sufficiency, the sustainability. See how it works? Always sell to the want. So there's number one. There's only two types of products. You can't break it. I'm sorry. You can try all you want. I'll come back at you. I'll slam dunk you on it. There's wanted and needed, and that's it. There's, There's nothing else that makes a person become a customer. And then within all products that people become customers for. Within the wants, people buy them because they either are entertaining, profit yielding, or life changing. That's it. Well, I bought a course on speaking Spanish because I wanted to learn how to speak Spanish. It didn't change my life. It's not that life altering. And I wasn't really entertained by it. But you said you wanted to learn how to speak Spanish. Therefore, you've yielded a profit. For you to make that purchase of that Spanish language course and to come away from it feeling like you got your money's worth, you have to feel that the value of of the education is more valuable than the money you spent or you would not have spent the money. Even if you end up feeling dissatisfied with the product, when you made the decision to tender your income Against the product you believed that it was worth more than what you were paying for it or you'd not have bought it. We buy things to yield a profit, we buy things for our entertainment. If you go to a movie in mo- not all but in most instances what you're looking for is 2 hours of separation from reality and to be entertained. For some people they want to cry, some people want to laugh, some people want to be scared, some people want to be excited. Some people want to be sucked into a drama. Some people want to go into a faraway place in a a sci-fi alternate dimension just to be disconnected from this real world. But it's all about entertainment. And then life-changing. People buy products because they believe that they'll change their lives. A weight loss product is profit-yielding because you want to be skinnier. But if it works and you're healthier, it truly changes your life. So the product that you want to develop and the product is not always just the piece you're selling. It's the total package that is being associated with your brand, especially when it's a personal brand. If you look at it as a total package, it's much easier to fulfill the, the, what I call the golden trifecta. And the golden trifecta is when you have a product that is entertaining, profit-yielding, and life-changing. And I feel one of the reasons we've been successful here is that's what we've built. I know this show changes people's lives because people email me and say, my life has changed for the better since, since I started listening to TSP. So it's, it, it's, it's incontributable. When people say, I am so much better off today. When I get a Jack, you're a jerk call, I'm out of debt. I have all the stupid extra money because of you, you jerk. You know? I have gold and silver now. I have inheritance I'm going to be leaving to my kids. I'm living my own life. I have my own business, you jerk, right? And the sarcastic, you jerk. That's life-altering. It's absolutely life-altering. It has to be entertaining or you wouldn't give me an hour to an hour and a half a day. If you were never entertained by me, if, if, if I wasn't in any way charismatic or entertaining for you, and again, there's people that think this guy's boring as shit. I don't like him. There's guys that think this guy's obnoxious as shit. I don't like him. My show's not for them. It's for you. So for the people that want to be here, I provide an entertaining platform. I have had people email me and say things like I I'm gonna right now so it better happen again, okay. One day I said something along the lines of just because you can do something, it's gonna you know, if you've never heard it before, you might find it funny. So if you're using a nail gun or a saw or something, you might want to put it aside, because people do that. I said something along the lines of, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. For instance, you could put your penis in a beehive and slam the top of it, but you probably shouldn't. And some guy emailed me and said, I was using a circular saw on a roof and almost cut my thumb off, but that was one of the best laughs I ever had. Well, clearly he was entertained. I'm glad he didn't cut his thumb off. I've had people email me and say some of the times I've cracked jokes that, like they're driving, they had to pull over to the side of the road to finish laughing so they didn't get in a wreck. So I I try to be entertaining. And then profit yielding. Well, I believe the information that I provide on a daily basis gives you some sort of a profit. The products I recommend generally are lifetime purchases and save money over the long term. So that's a profit. If you join the MSB and you use the discounts, then you get more money than you put in. That's a profit. When you no longer are controlled by the system, Because you can think independently, because somebody's willing to give you both sides and a critical analysis of a situation, then that's a profit too. So I feel that I built this show because I knew these tenants on that. That's what I wanted it to be. And you can consciously design something. In fact, if you do consciously design something, you generally get what you designed. It may not look exactly like you planned going in, but you get the specs on the other end, so to say. So, all products are one of three things for customers that buy them because they wanted them. Entertaining, profit-yielding, life-changing. If you put all three together, you get the golden trifecta. Next, I'm going to give you everything that you really need to know about marketing in two phrases. And it really is. You can go to four years of school and get a marketing degree and come out and not understand these two basic phrases... That it's everything that you need to know. Not everything that you need to do to get it to happen, but everything you need to know about what you're trying to do. Marketing is telling your story. That's all marketing is. I'm going to throw a bonus in here for you because people conflate sales and marketing. We're not going to talk about sales today. You do all this shit, sales happen. Sales is a transfer of belief, it's an absolute definition. I have this thing, this thing should be in your life. Here's what it will do for you. If I transfer that belief to you, and you really believe it, especially if it's true, because I'm being honest, and you have the money, and you have a need or want for that thing, you'll buy it. So that's sales. The marketing differs from sales, and that's why they should never go together as sales and marketing as a combined thing. There's sales and, comma marketing, even though I don't generally put a comma after and. I, I'm opposed to that. Hey, it's my age. Um, But delineate the separation, okay? Sales here, marketing there. That's why big companies have a sales team and a marketing department. They're not the same. Um, But marketing is just telling your story. Now, there's a million ways to tell your story. Your story can be told if you have a skateboard by kids riding your skateboard and doing cool shit on it. And then some kind of video that shows that. Especially if it has some kind of feature or does some kind of thing that your competitive product doesn't do. But in the end, all that marketing is is telling your story. The most powerful marketing in the world when it comes to small businesses is back in 1996. I and my partner got together and we decided that there needed to be fill in the blank. Working with people, we put together this and we did this and we've been doing that since 96. For over 20 years, we've been delivering this to the market. If that's true, if that's authentic, if it's not bullshit... You respect that even if you don't want the product. Tell me you don't. And if you don't, I I don't know that you're going to be successful in business because you don't respect what it takes to make that a thing, to make that work. We built what wasn't there because we believed in it, and we proved that it was valid because we're still here. That's so powerful. But what is that? That's not the features of a product. It's not the benefits of a product. That's a story about the people behind the product. Part of what's made me where you trust me is I've told you my background. But since I've been 100% honest about it, if you go research my background and you say, well, Jack says he did this, that, and the other, you go look it up. Turns out some bitch ain't lying. That story that goes with it. I think some of the most profound feedback I've got is when I've talked about my childhood and growing up in the mountains. And what that was like, people love stories. And all marketing is is telling your story. The story of who you are, the story of your brand, the story of what you're trying to accomplish, and the story behind whatever products or services you offer. That's it. All marketing is. Effective marketing is when you get others to tell your story for you. If you tell your story in in enough of a compelling way, and this is the interesting thing, the more story-like it is, the more people will tell your story. I'm not going to tell the story right now because I don't want the show to go too long today. But an example is Johnny Walker Blue, the most expensive blended whiskey in the world. And there's a reason. The reason is the story behind it and how those bottles of Johnny Walker Blue get to be there every year. Well, whenever we do a workshop here, I generally will pull four or five people, usually people I haven't done it with before, kind of honored guest type of thing, usually some of my instructors, they always come, and then you know a couple, three or four other people and I bring them into my kitchen when everybody's been received and everybody's happy usually the first night I do this and I break out some of my higher end spirits, including Johnny Walker Blue, which I always serve last, usually Highland Park 18 year and then Johnny Walker Blue and I tell the story behind Johnny Walker Blue, and I don't let anybody take a sip of it. I'll let them smell it. You cannot sip until I'm done with the story. Now, why do you think I do that? Because the story is compelling. How many times do you think that story has been retold? Now, what did Johnny Walker do to get me to tell that story? Did they, did they offer me a sweet or a lifetime supply of Johnny Walker Blue? Did they say, here's a banner, put it on your site, and we'll be your sponsor and tell our story. Here's some money. Here's some whiskey. No, they did nothing. They told their story on their website. I read their story. I found it compelling. And actually what happened was my friend Neil Franklin, when I said, I'm not really a scotch drinker, said, you haven't been drinking the right scotch, mate. Let me get you something. And he bought me a bottle for Christmas. And he told me the story. And I did, oh, go look it up. So I went and looked it up. It was the real story. So someone told me the story and I told other people the story. This is effective marketing from a global brand. Well, the beauty of the world today is you can compete at that level, getting people to tell your story. Our egg business that we eventually walked away from because we were making a lifestyle change. But we built it up to be very successful. And we're talking running 150 birds and having a waiting list for eggs at $8 a dozen. Do you know why? We told our story. These are the birds this is how we treat them. This is how they're fed. This is their special diet. These are our customers. This is what they have to say about us. Here's the duck chronicles. Here's how we raise these birds from, from little baby ducklings into the birds you can see. You can come here. You can see the birds. Your kids can see the birds. If we have babies around, we'll pick one up and let your kids hold them. And people went and said, hey, there's these people. It's called Nine Mile Farm. They have these, it's amazing these ducks that they have and life just took off cuz so we told a story. That was a product business. And it I mean agriculture, are you kidding? It's one of the most competitive markets there is. We were selling for twice what most other people were selling for in our market. We single-handedly raised the price of the market. When I started this business, all the ads on Craigslist were $4 a dozen for duck eggs. We went out put $8 a dozen and within a year all the other ads came up between $7 and $9. Because we told a story that was compelling enough that people also told the story. So marketing is telling your story. And effective marketing is doing it in such a way that others repeat it. That's it. There's your master's in marketing. Almost. I got the rest for you here. Because we are going to go into sales now. This is everything you know to about, need to know about sales. And my bonus already was sales as a transfer of belief. I can't believe I left it out, but I wanted to keep it to 12 points. So i make it a bonus. 13. Bakers doesn't. But, number one, you have to make it easy to buy from you. I cannot tell you how many times I've been like, how do I buy this thing? Everybody's seen the the, uh, the meme, <clears throat> and I don't know the guy's name, but it's from that uh, Futurama show, right? i never really watched that, but the guy that's in it, that I think he comes from the past into the future, I think, is that's how it works, the archer dude. He has a big fistful of dollars, and he has it sticking out in front of him, and it says, shut up and take my money. Do you know why that exists? Because people are going, I want this and I can't figure out how to buy it. I can't find one, I can't get it. Or, I think I want this, but I have one question and I can't get an answer. All of these things impede the ability to purchase. So number one, you must make it easy to buy from you. Next, you're selling more than products and services. This goes back to my golden trifecta. You're selling the brand. You're selling a lifestyle. You're selling the information. Even if you're not charging for it, you're selling it. You are selling the totality that is you. Another big brand. It's become a big brand in recent years. And it's called the brands in the name. Beard brand. They were on Shark Tank, effectively, by the way. You can get beard oil anywhere. It's and, and, and you know what? Beard oil is actually a great product. But you know what's in my bathroom, in my vanity? Yes, goes says he has a vanity. I don't know what else you call it, medicine chest, whatever. Um, three little bottles of different beard brands. I, it was a couple reasons. One, I saw it. And I, I I actually bought into the people behind it when I saw them on Shark Tank. Like we're selling a lifestyle. We're saying, and, and the sharks are like, nah, blah, blah, blah. they're crapping all over them. And I'm like, oh no, no, I, I see what these guys are are saying. And I, so I went that night to their website, Shark Tank Effect, and I bought some of their product. And it wasn't, you know, it was it was fairly priced for the market, it was quality, and it did work, and it made my beard feel better. And there's times where, you know, you've had a shower or whatever, but you walk outside and you do a little bit in the summertime around here, and you get a little bit sweaty, and my wife's like, your beard stinks? I don't want my wife to think my beard stinks. Hey, beard brand to the rescue. But the concept of, like, it's, you're part of the beard brand family, hey, I like that. I like ownership that will come out and say that. Now, not everybody does. There's other people who go, I buy my shit for half price and I don't give a damn. I just want the results. Great. They're not selling to you. They're not selling to you. They don't care about you. And that makes me feel like they care more about me because I buy into what they're selling. So they're not selling beard oil. They're selling the beard brand. And the oil is part of it. Now, this is not the ego of someone that buys a certain brand of jeans or shoes. Because when you go around and you're using beard brand oil, most of the time people don't notice anything at all. But if they did, they're not like, oh, that's beard brand oil in your beard. So it's not ego. It's, It's actually an affinity because the ownership speaks to me as a fellow entrepreneur. And if I don't have a beard, even if I like them, that doesn't work. So what's their niche? Their niche is people like me who value what they're trying to do, who respect their initiative, who respect the idea of building a company culture and want to be part of it. And this is how much they care about everybody that's not in that niche, the square root of F all, because the number of people in that number is in the millions, and that's plenty. And they'll get the pull through and the crossover, but they're going to focus on what works. So you're selling more than products and services. And then this is the most important thing about selling. You are always selling whether you think you are or not. There's the old, you know, hard sell, school of thought, ABCs, always be selling, right? Oh, you are always selling. And if you're not cognizant of that, you can be selling people away from your brand, away from your product. You are always selling. It's the exact same thing I've been teaching. See, all this stuff comes from fundamental realities of life. I've been saying since day one the TikTok message life is not a sliding scale. You're either moving forward and becoming more self sufficient, self reliant, and independent, and liberty oriented, or life is pushing you backwards and you're becoming less so. It's one or the other. That's how selling is. Every time you speak to somebody, you're selling. You're selling an idea, you're selling a thought, you're selling yourself. You go, you're you're a young person, you've applied to a college, and they want to see you before they accept you, you're selling yourself. When you send in your college resume and application, you're selling yourself. You go up to a girl, you want to go out with her. You say, hey, would you like to get coffee sometime? You're selling yourself. So when you're speaking, as your personal brand, making a video, doing an audio, putting out a blog post writing an article, you're selling your brand. Now, I didn't say you're doing a good job of it. I said you're doing it. You're either selling it poorly or selling it effectively. And being cognizant of that and understanding that what you're looking to do is a transfer of belief is what makes or breaks you. Now, here's the beauty. If we'll come all the way back around, so the stories I told at the beginning of this, were, which were not Jack is ass hurt because somebody doesn't like what he's doing stories. By being authentic, you will have people who dislike what you do and criticize you and try to do you ill. Period. Every walk of life, every place. I looked up an article I wrote on this back in 2011 at JackspearGo.com, and one of the people I mentioned being hated because of who he was was Donald Trump before anybody really believed he was going to be president. And people think, oh, no one hated him until he became president. No, no one called him a racist until he became president. People hated him for a long time. If you are making impact in the world, there will be people that hate you. So, the way you get to the point where you're always selling and doing so effectively, and selling more than just your products and services, but the totality of who and what you represent, without being a a manipulative bastard, is by being authentic. The authentic person is never manipulative. Because to manipulate someone is to coerce them into doing things that they would not otherwise do because they've been misled. You're not manipulating somebody when you're completely honest with them. And only through authenticity about who and what you are can you be the person that effectively sells your idea, your personality, your brand, your total package all the time effectively to the people you care about. It can only happen if you're authentic. And that means you're not going to go out and say shit and damn and, and screw and the F word and asshole Because Jack does. Unless that's who you are. And you're not going to make poor decisions for your business because, well... I remember my buddy Brian at ITS Tactical, when he first started. He did these videos on escaping from zip ties. And he got this email, this scathing, hateful email, from some butthurt cop that said, you know, you're going to get officers killed by showing people how to do this. And Brian came to me. So I'm not sure what to do. I mean, I rely on these people and these 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 companies to provide product, so I can review them. And I rely on the, the law enforcement community to be my readers and, and and trust me. And I'm like, well, hold on. Well, who do you serve? It's like what I said. Who do you serve? Why well, serve these people, right? That's okay. And are they better served by you not telling the truth? It's like, well, no. I'm like then you do what is right because it is right, and you don't worry about the consequences of those that don't see it your way. You worry about the backing of the people who do see it your way. And his entire point was, if you are a cop, and you're out with zip ties from Lowe's apprehending suspects, you're an idiot. That's not what you're supposed to you should be in law enforcement-grade restraints. He was giving the information for people who were unlawfully detained, i.e. Kidnapped. And something, almost, you know, magical coincidence happened. He got an email from a chief of police, I don't remember where, that said he believed that Brian's videos for law enforcement officers that were sloppy and did use things like that would, in the long run, save lives. And he got a couple other really supportive emails. And I remember he did this video when he finally responded to this, and he had like a piece of paper with it printed out and he read it and he kind of with like a righteous indignation like threw it down. I was like, he just graduated. And I told him, I said, you're going to blow up. Right there. That was it. You're going to blow up. You're going to be incredibly successful because you just made a call. I will not kowtow to threats. I will do what is right because I believe it's right. I will stick with what's right. Boom. And when a person does that in a day and age where everybody's, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I really regret my work. Bullshit! How about, I said this because I believe this. And by the way, I got it wrong this time and I'm sorry. Move on when you're actually wrong. Not a bunch of virtue signaling crap. Or, yeah, you know what? It's too bad that you were offended by this. This is what I believe. If you don't like it, there's the door. Do you know what other people that are not offended by that say? Wow, that's different. That's different. Gee, I think I trust this guy. He's not trying to please everybody. And it's not shock jock shit. I'm not a shock jock. And I don't think you should be either. Be authentic to who you are. And then understand this. In the end, there has never been a better time or one with more opportunity than today. When I see people lamenting, like, well, when my dad was a kid, you could go get a basic blue-collar job and provide for a family. Yeah, when your dad was a kid, you couldn't make a six-figure income with a $25 microphone either, could you? Could you? With no boss, no one telling you what to do, doing whatever it is that you most want to do, you couldn't make a living... With a $500 computer and a blog and an iPhone, when your dad had his blue collar job, that he probably would would have swapped places with you today for the opportunity. For in a millisecond, in a millisecond, there's never been a time where there's more opportunity than today. Now, some people would say there's never been a time where there's more problems than there are today. I agree, and problems necessitate solutions, and solutions are opportunities. Get out there and do something. Be something. Make something of yourself. It is the most noble of pursuits. It is. Entrepreneurship is the most noble of pursuits because it says, I will take responsibility for myself and that of my children. I will step off the cliff I will take the chance. I will put out what I see of his value and I will subsist only from those who voluntarily say, I see value in this and I will reciprocate. It is one of the most noble things a human being can do, especially in our age today. Because of a couple things. One, from everything I just said. But the other thing is, it is the most freeing thing you can do, is to be a successful entrepreneur. When you have something of your own, you are free in in the, the most broad sense that a human being can be free in our modern society. And I'm going to tell you something that happens every single time one person does it. At least three more are inspired to give it a shot. And on average, at least one of those three will succeed. And even if it's not like this, even if it's not like somebody that's out there like me saying, go do it, go do it, go do it from time to time, just... Doing it will make other people go, shit, I can do that. I'll tell you part of how I got to where I am with this, this show. i listen to these talk radio guys and go, these guys suck. 80% of their shows commercial. They're not authentic. They're all talking about the same shit on the same day. And I thought, like, all you're doing is bitching. You do the same thing you always complain about other do. You're bitching, but you're not providing a solution. If you think you can do it better, then why don't you go try? Well, I think I'll do that. I'll never be as big as Glenn Beck because I will not pander. I don't have to. I don't need to. I don't want to. I don't want employees. I want a community of like-minded individuals who love what I do. And I want every single one of you that wants to build something like that to have it. That's as authentic as I can be. And that's the best example I can set. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, and you'd like to support us, you know what you can do? You can become a member of the Survival Podcast MSB. And you guys know recently, with Travis the Vegan Troll, I did the bacon sale. So I thought about this, and for our butthurt person that contacted my sponsor today, while I'm on vacation, I'm extending the bacon sale. For the entire time I'm gone, if you didn't get in on it the first time, you can get the MSB for 25 bucks using code word bacon. You don't even have to agree to eat the extra pound of bacon like you did in the last sale. You don't even have to agree to give the gift of bacon, though I think both of those are fine endeavors. But if you would like to become a member after hearing today's show, and you haven't up till now, and you're like, damn, I missed out on that bacon sale, you can join, again, between now and the 25th, till I get back, using code word bacon. And I'm not going to put it out on the blog. I'm not going to advertise it anywhere else. I'm only going to say it here at the end of the show for those that listen all the way through. So if you listened all the way through today, I must have made it worth your time. If you'd like to be a member, you can do it for half price. And that $25 applies to the recurring membership. So you lock that rate in for life. Next thing uh, is you can always support us by doing your online shopping at t I don't think I need to say much about Integrity Day given the content. Um, but everything on the t site I own and use. Today's product I won't say much about to keep the show short and get wrapped up. But it's the Gerber Dime Multi-Tool. So it's basically like a little mini Leatherman type tool. It's got scissors, it's got a retail package opener, a little knife, a file, uh, screwdriver blades, a little pair of pliers and wire cutters. And it won't do everything that a full size Leatherman type tool will do, but it will do a lot of things well that you can't do without having it, especially those little pliers. Those are so valuable. And it's so small, it takes up less space on my keychain than the key to my forerunner. So that means it's actually there. So you can either have something that's ideal, that's at home. Because you didn't want to be Batman with a utility belt, or you can have something that's always there. So I recommend the Gerber dime. By the way, they've cut the price now, and I believe it's down to like twelve bucks. So I mean, that's really a great deal. And uh, you might want to check out today's review. If you take a look at it, you'll see my keychain with my EDC on my keychain. That might just be interesting for some of you, anyway. Uh, but yeah, it really does. If you, I've got, I've got the picture there with my hand, and I've got a uh, Fercium rod and some other stuff, uh, but. <clears throat> If you look at the key for the Forerunner and you look at the Gerber Diamond, its folded uh, capacity, it takes up less space than the key for the Forerunner, and I think for what it does, that's that's pretty cool. 14 bucks, as by the way I said 12, yeah they've dropped the price down to 14 bucks. It used to be 18 dollars, so at 14 bucks you might want to pick up one for a friend. This is another one of those good like gifts to spread preparedness, right? You get one of these, you get a couple of them, and then the people in your life that you'd like to share preparedness with, hey, check this out, it's on my keychain. Here's the. Oh, that's pretty cool. Tell you what, if you'll put this on your keychain right now, I'll give you one. If you're not going to put it on your keychain, I'll give it to somebody else. And every time they use that, and show them everything. Like, show like, the one that, like, you don't even think about how cool it is until you use it. The retail package opener. You get those stupid clamshells. You can't get them open. You stick a knife in there. It's dangerous. You're going to cut into the product, cut your hand off, whatever. This thing, like, hooks in there and just opens it perfectly, like a like a zipper blade for a deer, for gutting a deer. Every time they, like, oh, shit. Oh, wow. Oh, y- you know what? That loony guy, that loony Jeff or that loony, you know, terror or whatever, always say to be prepared. And, yeah. Good way to spread preparedness, low tech way. Anyway, do your shopping at tspaz.com. You support us no matter what you buy. That brings us to our song of the day as we finish out Pink Floyd Week and a Broken Week. Uh, this song is called High Hopes, and it's a, uh, it's a it's a really interesting song. At least it is to me. Let me give you some of the stuff off song facts. The song was f- the first written for the album that came out of the Division Division Bell in 1994, but it was the last one they finished. Within the song, Dave Gilmore's son Charlie hangs up the telephone on Pink Floyd manager Steve O'Rourke, and there's some other cool little facts on there for you. But to me what this this song is really all about is how, as we mature the things that we believe so optimistically in become more real and less so optimistic for us. And I I think you really see that in the chorus. The grass was greener, the light was brighter, the taste was sweeter, the nights of wonder, with friends surrounded, the dawn was glowing, the water flowing, the endless river forever and ever. And so we all have this optimistic view of the world, and as we get older, we become more pessimistic, more grounded, more logical, and in many ways, more reasonable. But we really shouldn't lose that optimism. That optimism is why I get up every day and think, I'm going to do something awesome today. And I really mean that. It's not one of these, I'm great, I'm wonderful, like by God, people like me. Not that bullshit. But there is so much to be done in the world. So even though at times we can... Kind of feel depressed and feel like all that optimism of youth is gone. We need to recapture some of it, keep our hopes high. With that, I'll be signing off until the 25th as I enjoy my vacation. I got some great rewinds coming for you. I got a great expert council show coming tomorrow. And uh, I need the time away. I really do with my wife. But I'll be back. I appreciate every one of you. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't
0: beyond the horizon of the place we live when we were young, in a world of magnets and miracles, our thoughts trade constantly and without boundary. The ring of the division bell had begun. Band followed in our footsteps, running before time took our dreams away, leaving the myriad small creatures trying to tie us to the ground, to a life consumed by slow decay. The grass was greener. The light Gray to the horizon Go oh, down this road We've been so many times The grass was green